you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. So I was telling my grandson a bedtime story. I was telling him the story of the three bears. And so I I was going along and telling the story. And he said, Grandpa, wait. I go, what? He goes, you forgot to tell the part where the bears put the porridge on the table before they went out for their walk. I said, hmm, how about aliens put the bowls of porridge on 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 the table while they're out for their walk? Ooh, he said, that's even better. Well, I feel that way about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to walk our way through the second chapter of Acts today. And I really feel like this, that for this chapter that, ooh, the Holy Spirit has something better. You may want to have chapter, your Bibles open to Acts, versus, uh, Acts chapter 2 or maybe the, the Bible on your phone. Or for sure read through it later today. So the book of Acts has been called the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because what it does is it really helps us to understand the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. This chapter highlights how the Spirit came to the early church in a new and a special way. But it's helpful to have some background. So there's this Jewish festival called Passover. And during that, or during Pentecost I should say, and during Pentecost it was one of three great Jewish festivals And anyone who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem would have been legally bound to attend. So not only would it have been this great gathering of people, but they would have come from many places. So if you look at Acts Acts 2 and starting in verse 8, it actually lists out some of those places where the people would come from. They were all races under heaven and people speaking their own language. It was this really diverse and international crowd. But ooh... There's more. The festival had a historical significance of commemorating Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai and the agricultural significance of offering the first barley crop to God. It was often called the day of first fruits. And so the first loaves with that new grain crop would have been placed on an altar as an offering to God. It's also, and I think most important to remember, that the early church was really just getting off the ground. And they wanted to connect with this crowd. So it was sort of like having the Sioux Empire Fair and the Sidewalks Arts Festival and the St. Patty's Day Parade all at one time. This was a new and fledgling church. And they wanted to go down and set up a booth or throw candy at the parade or whatever they did at that time. But the Holy Spirit had something bigger in mind. And so if you look at Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's the 120 core followers of Jesus, including the disciples. And they were all in one place and of one accord. Imagine a church meeting where everybody came 
Everybody got along and everybody enjoyed the lunch. These apostles or messengers experienced the rushing of the wind, the tongues of fire, and speaking in other tongues. But most importantly, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now one of the most controversial aspects about Acts 2 is, is speaking in tongues. While it has really not been part of my experience and not, not really emphasized in most churches, I know that people experience God and experience the Holy Spirit in powerful ways. And that our experience really shouldn't define or limit another person's experience. That our role is really just to seek the Spirit in all things. So here were the followers of the early church and they received this clear and powerful message that could reach out to the hearts of others. It's also important to note that the disciples were not speaking from stories. They were speaking from personal influence. They had direct influence and experiences with Jesus' torture and death and his resurrection. So their message was powerful, but it was also personal. So if you keep reading in Acts 2, verses 14 through 42, it talks about what's the response then? What's our response to the wind and the fire and the speaking in tongues? Well, Peter was challenged with what to do next. So he decided to address the crowd. He talked about the importance of the resurrection and how it fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament and really was finally proof that Jesus was of God and God's chosen one. It was not only the first Christian sermon preached, it was one of the most powerful Christian sermons preached. Afterwards, over 3,000 people were baptized and gave themselves to Christ. So the scripture from Acts are meant to energize us, but I think they're also asking us to respond. I think Acts is actually trying to figure us, have us try to figure out how do we get out of the way of God? How do we respond and live a life of response? How do we come alongside others? And how do we understand that God is trying to work through each of us and those around us? Between my junior and senior year of high school, I was an exchange student in Ghana, which is in West Africa. And I lived with a family for three months. You know, I lived with them, and I would just say that that experience just altered me at the core. I saw how different they lived than I did. We, I lived at a few different places, but we probably averaged walking about a half a mile for our water, which meant we walked a half a mile for the water that we drank, or the water that we used to, for cooking, or the water that we used for bathing. I'd ask you to do something later today. Go get a bucket, fill it with water, and walk a half mile. I think you're going to find out a couple things. First of all, water's heavy. And the second thing you're going to find out is every splash that you make is a splash less that you're going to drink. It's a splash less that you're going to have for food. It's a splash less that you're going to have for bathing. And then there was the food. You know, what, we're hungry, what do we do? We walk to the fridge or we walk to the shelves. That doesn't exist for us when you live in Ghana. You walked to the market every day to buy the food that you, that you eat. And there's no, there's no refrigeration. And so the food that you had is what you had in the house that you prepared for that day. I had some very interesting food. Talk to me about fufu and snail stew sometime. And then health care. At the end of my trip, I got malaria. I was very ill. 
If you want to hear a really gross story about malaria, stop me after church. I'll tell you about a really fun, gross story after church. But I found out how different healthcare was. We complain if you wait 15 minutes in Dr. McKercher's office, you complain. There would literally be people for blocks and blocks waiting three to four hours just with the hopes of seeing a doctor. Now, through high school and really through college, I wasn't really sure what to do with all of that. But I did have that sort of this innate need to respond. And so over the years, I've worked on reservations. I've I worked in the projects in Chicago. I've done a bunch of Habitat for Humanity. I've done food pantries. I've been at flood relief at Katrina. I was in Minot, Grand Forks, Houston a couple years ago. I have this almost unconscious sense that I need to respond because of the experience that I had. About a year ago, I tried to semi-retire, and I began exploring the world of a chaplain. And so I took this first course. It's called Clinical Pastoral Education. Then you shadow a couple chaplains, and then you jump in. You learn by doing. Because most of my chaplain work was overnights, I would often get paged to trauma or end of life or difficult situations. You know, in retrospect, a chaplain's life is a life of response. We don't ask for their gender. We don't ask for their job status. Frankly, we don't even ask if they believe in God. You respond. And then you walk alongside. You walk alongside the woman whose, whose husband has had a heart attack or the woman who lost a baby in childbirth. You comfort the COVID patient who can't have family near them. You pray with those whose earthly journeys are ending. But you also celebrate amazing recovery. You bring communion elements to those that desire that comfort. You support those that are making those difficult decisions of life support or hospice, and you try to lift up medical professionals. But how about our response to God? Are we responding in the same way? Do we respond without question? Or do we surround ourselves with landmines and roadblocks to the Holy Spirit? You know, I was thinking about our cell phones. What happens if we get a ding or a buzz on our cell phone? We pick it up, we respond. Even in church, maybe. You might get, a, might get a notification and you might want to check out your phone because who knows, we might get a new cat video that nobody ever saw. Well, my hope is that we respond to God in the same way that we respond to our cell phones, that when we get out of, the, out of our way, when we get out of the way of God, we lead a life of response. The second thing is uh, for us to come alongside others. There's no doubt that the place where I've been able to come alongside us most deeply and effectively has been our work in Haiti. I can't tell you how excited I am to use Dave's pointer, by the way. So this is the country of Haiti. Here's Port-au-Prince, and here's this island called Laganov. And that's where the name Laganov Alive come from, is this island of Laganov. Invitation has been great supporters in this ministry, and I'm very grateful to all the people here that have been helpful in keeping this ministry alive. A lot of you know the story, but the, the real quick version is, in 2008, we went to this island of Laganov. And we met a young man, his name was William. He was an orphan, but he had this dream of becoming a doctor. And so we prayed for a way, and we got him into medical school in 2009. And then we were on Laganov in 2010 when they had that big earthquake. William was with us, we, had a, we were part of a medical team. And his school collapsed, many of his professors and fellow students were killed. If he would have been with us wouldn't have been with us, he probably wouldn't be here today. 
And so he came back the next year and he said, well, I have an idea. I'd like to go to medical school in the Dominican Republic. Sure, no problem. We'll just have to figure out a way to get you there. And, and oh, by the way, you're going to have to learn a new language because they speak Spanish in the Dominican. Imagine starting medical school and learning a new language. In 2011, I went back to Laganov by myself and I interviewed pastors and women's groups and leaders and frankly, anybody who would talk to me. And I just said, if we could help, how could we help you? What, what, do you need? what do you need? And it came out very clearly that these, th whoops, these three areas, education, health care, and how difficult life is for women, children, and the elderly. And so we started small. We started with just a handful of school scholarships. We tried to give out some feed some people. And it, it, the ministry has absolutely grown way beyond my ex any expectations that I've had. And so we completed a school. We have the Rob Marchand Institute. We have grades one through six. We actually, they actually have had a large increase in COVID in Port-au-Prince. And so we've actually shut our school down for the year. It shut down about six weeks early this year. But we're hoping to add grade seven this next year. We feed the kids every day. Um, we have a large cistern. We just completed a 16,000-gallon cistern. And the, the idea is to collect water off the roof of the school, and it'll collect it into the cistern because clean water is a huge issue on the island. Now if it would just rain, we could collect some water. Um, we also planted about 150 plantain trees, and so we can have erosion control, we have some shade, but eventually we'll have food for the kids. For healthcare, William has returned to the island, and we have this small clinic. It's called the Hello Doctor Clinic. It's in a small village outside of our, where our school is. And you have that clinic that goes for a couple days. We actually have a health center in the school. And what we do in that health center is, is monitor mostly elderly people with chronic health conditions like diabetes and, and heart disease. We also had a young woman who just graduated from dental school. She's an amazing young woman. She's come back about once a month to do dental clinics, and we are just overwhelmed with another number of people that are showing up. In the area of women, children, and elderly, we, we do an elderly feeding program. It's a tough place to be old. And so we do elderly feeding programs. We feed the kids once a week. We feed them at school, and then we do a kind of a neighborhood feeding on Saturdays. We have a large Christmas program. 800 to 1,000 kids come. We give them a small gift and a meal and, and show them the love of Christ. And we've just purchased land for our women's village. I'm pretty excited about this. I'll tell you one thing in Haiti. Men do a pretty good job of creating children. They don't do a very good job of supporting children. And so what we'd like to have is a women's village where we'd build a simple home for a woman and her children. And so we have a large tract of land that we were just beginning that process. The donor of that also gave us money to defray the cost of the house. So we're hoping we can build, we think we can build a home for around $10,000. And so we're hoping that churches and individuals will come and build homes and then build a relationship with that family. Hopefully to go down to help build the home, but more importantly to build a relationship with that family. And so I would just simply say that God has put me in the right place and that things have really prospered when I get out of the way of God. I'll tell you my, my biggest fear right now is how do we sustain all these things? How do we continue those on? And you've been a big part of that. So I'd ask you, how are you able to come alongside others? You know, it can be as simple as when you think of someone, pray for them, but then reach out to them. Call them. Send them a text or an email. I'll bet you'll find many times that something was going on and they needed to hear from you. Maybe it's God nudging you or pushing you towards something new. Is there something that you'd wanted to support or a project that you'd wanted to start? 
Maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you to be a messenger. And maybe if you accept that gift, you'll, along with me, learn how we can get out, along, how we can get out of the way of God and come alongside others. I have a book that's going to be out this fall. It's, um, it really started from this church. Dave did a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and I thought, I really don't have much knowledge, of, or int, uh, much knowledge about the Holy Spirit. And so I began to do some research and really came along. I really found out what is the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm hoping that book will be out this fall. Uh, anything that I earn from the book just goes to our ministry in Haiti. Um, but I'll tell you the best part of the book is that there's great stories from real people. Not fake people like me, but real people out there. And we have some really cool stories in there. There's a story from Nikki, from the yellow dress person in the back, who literally saved a woman's life. Literally saved her life by responding to the Holy Spirit. There's a story about when this church, when this church met in the park and someone identified a homeless man and put him in connection with Dave, and Dave reconnected them to the family. I was going through the final stories this last couple of weeks when I was doing my final editing, and I was just amazed at the stories that the Holy Spirit has brought to us. I'm going to try, and there's a, actually a sign-up sheet out there. We're going to try to do a, a team from Invitation Church on February, I think it's, um, what is it, February 16th through the 27th, 19th through the 27th. Um, there's a sign-up sheet out in the, out of the entryway. If you would have any interest at all in going to Haiti, I would ask you to sign up, that, even, sign up on that list, even if it's not right now. Even if February won't work for you, I'll put you on my someday list. That someday you'd like to go to Haiti. I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's a little bumpy there right now. They're having some bad things go on, and so we, we may not be able to go but I want to put a team together, and I'm hoping that February we can put that team together from this church. The third thing is that God is working through you and others in your life. There's an old story, and it's been told in many ways, but there was a man, and he was in a flood. And the flood waters were rising. And a jeep pulled up to the house, and they said, you need to get in. The flood waters are rising. And the man said, I'm good. I'm fine. God will take care of me. So the waters continue to rise. And a boat pulled up to the house and said, you need to get in. The, the waters are rising. The man said, I'm fine. I'm good. God's going to take care of me. Well, the floodwaters did continue the rise, and he went up on the roof of his house. And a helicopter came. And they said, you got to get in the helicopter. The floodwaters are rising. And the man said, I'm fine. I'm good. God's going to take care of me. And so the floodwaters did continue to rise. The man drowned. And he went to heaven. He said, God, I've been faithful. What's the deal? And God said, I sent you a Jeep and a boat and a helicopter. What more could I have done? You know, I'd ask you the same thing in your life. When has God sent you a friend and you've waited? When has God sent you help and that you've waited for God? That realize that God has put you in the right place. Do you know how long Jesus' ministry lasted? About three years. Three years. Think of how that time, that short time, changed the trajectory of our world and our beliefs. We're all not too old or too young or too whatever, that God's continually trying to reveal new truths to us. If we'll simply come alongside others and respond to God and allow God to work through us. So in Acts 2, what did we learn? We learned that the Christian church began. 
that we receive power from the Holy Spirit. Then they baptized believers and then went out to tell others. And they're off. They're creating new believers and expanding the church. But what should the church look like? Or what should the church be? Or what should it do? Well, at the end of Acts 2, it answers just that. In verses 42 through 47, it provides characteristics of the early church. And really, it's probably a blueprint for our churches today. And so there should be a handout on your chair. On one side, it talks about Laganav alive. And then I ask you to flip that over to the other side. What it says in Acts is that our church needs to be a learning church. So we're active and we're always continually learning about God. And we should have fellowship. We should be together and be a band of brothers and sisters. We should be a praying church. We should speak to God before we speak to others. We should be reverence, showing on reverence to God. We should be a church where things happen. We should also be a sharing church. We should give to others who have little. We should be a worshiping church, is what we're doing today. For sure, we should be a happy church. We shouldn't be a gloomy church. We should be, we should really, and I don't think any Christian should, should be gloomy. We should have joy in our heart and demonstrate that through the, through the way that we interact with others. And then we should be a place where others want to come. And I'll invite the band up as I, as I close, but I would ask this, is, is this church getting out of the way of God? Your first reaction might be, you know, I think Dave could do a little better job. I think Caleb could probably help us with this, or Nick, or Thomas, or, or, or um, Nicole. They could probably help make us a better church and make us a lot better in one of those categories. But you know what, folks? This list isn't for them. There wasn't a pastor. There wasn't staff. The early church was us, the believers of God. And so we need to look at this list and say, ooh, I could help with that. I could, make, I could allow the Holy Spirit to work through me, and I could allow this church to be a better praying church. Or I could help us with fellowship. I could ask us to be more sharing. I, and for sure, all of us could make us a happier church. So I'd ask you to take this list home and look through this list through the week and react to where the Holy Spirit is nudging you to say, I could make a difference there. Now I'm trying to encourage each of us to do our best each day to make room for God and to open our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. How can each of us say, ooh, we can be better when we lead a life of response. We can be better when we come alongside others. We can be better when we realize that God is working through us and through those around us. How can we get out of the way of God? Amen. Man, thanks, Bruce. I want to invite you, and let's stand as we sing this closing song this morning. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul 
to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.